and I need for Michelle Obama. She said about her eye roll or her um her the face that she got caught making that she was thinking about Sasha and Malia leaving the White House for the last time and she was sad about. No, Michelle Obama, first lady girl, it's okay. I need you to say I was making that face because I'm like, can y'all even believe this ish? Can you just say that for the culture, Michelle Obama? From Topic and Earwolf, this is Politically Reactive. I'm Debbie Kamal Bell. And I'm your man, Hari Kundabola. Ooh, sexy. The show where two comedians try to make sense of politics in America. Or maybe they just sound like this the whole show. Hey ladies, how are you? I'm Hari Kundabola. This is making me have feelings. On today's show, you ain't ready. We're talking to one of the most exciting, dynamic powerhouses you will see on television, Angela Rye. Angela is a lawyer, political consultant, and analyst. She served as general counsel to the Congressional Black Caucus. She also founded Impact, an organization dedicated to advocating for young professionals of color nationwide. But that's not why you know her. Angela has regularly appeared on outlets like NPR and BET. But that's not why you know her. Why you know Angela is because of CNN. Angela's on those famous CNN panels where there's like nine people on a panel and everybody's yelling. And let me tell you, those panels are like thunderdomes. They can take you down even if you think you're funny and you work for CNN like me. Not everyone is good at it. But Angela is. Members are not going to have an opportunity to review this bill before it can even go to the floor. Thanks, gerrymandering. That is what happens when you redistrict and draw very conservative Republican districts. That is what's going. What'd you say? I said everybody gerrymanders. It's a problem on both sides. I appreciate you chiming in right there, Amanda. But I think the issue here is very, very clearly that these districts are far too conservative. And so you have people that are no and then absolutely hell no. That is what we're dealing with right now. (laughs) Angela Rye was one of the few bright spots from the 2016 election. The election made her a star. She reps for women and people of color in all the places, online, on TV, in court. When people get out of line, she is not afraid to let them know. Like when sparring with the guy nobody misses for 2016, Corey, last name long like mine. I got you. Lewandowski. Tell me about those tax returns, Corey, well, well, you raise the issue. I'm just asking. You raise the issue. I'm did just, he, and I'm, and did my he ever is, release his transcripts or his admission Corey, to Harvard University? You raise Corey, the issue, so just Corey, yes or no. Corey, in this moment, I'm going to Beyonce no. you. Boy, bye. You so out of line right now. Tell your well, candidate to release Don't raise the issue if you don't want to address tax it. That's, that's what happened. Two words. Tax returns. Oof. She's smart, she's funny, and she's totally real. And she's got a t-shirt line. Hip-hop air horn, hip-hop air horn, hip-hop air horn. And look, hurry, if we get out of line on this interview, the listeners don't have to check us, because Angela will do it. Well, I don't normally go out of line, but now that you said it, I feel like I'm going to go out of line. No, and then absolutely hell no. Then you in trouble. You in trouble. It's all coming up on Politically Reactive. Hey, come out. Hey, what's up, sir? I'm uh, I'm good. I'm in a studio in New York. Uh, for the listeners, uh, this is being recorded on May 8th, in case you're wondering where we're at, because things change very quickly in this country. So by the time you get this, if you get this, if the world is still there, just know it was May 8th. <laughs> Man, uh, so I was uh, – I headlined Caroline's on Broadway uh, this weekend, and so many listeners came out, and they made so much noise, and they were wonderful. But it is interesting <laughs> that um, – when you're at a big comedy club, especially one that's in New York and Times Square, it's a, it's a very famous comedy club in New York. 
all sorts of people will come see you, even if they don't know what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> Late Show Saturday was very interesting. One of my favorite moments being uh, like maybe three-fourths into the show, someone yelling, I'm going. And uh, it, it, was, it was like a middle-aged uh, white lady. And she was saying it to her friends, but she said it so loud that, you know, I heard it. And so I was like, uh, you know, uh, you going home? Let me guess. Long Island? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course you're a white lady from Long Island. Of course you don't like me. <laughs> I don't make any sense to you. Well, so I mean, weird, man. But I think the thing is that, you, like you said, Caroline specifically, this is all comedy clubs on some level, but specifically Caroline's people mm. are like, they show up because it's like, is this happening now? If it's happening now, I can go. It's not about what's right, happening right. now. It's like, is this event taking place now? Because I have, this is what I, I schedule myself to do something now. Is this happening now? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, it was a fantastic weekend. I had an incredible time. And even that show was really fun. But it is interesting when you are talking about, like, you know, things, you know, the stuff I do, for those of you who haven't heard my stand-up, it's kind of like what we do on the podcast, except Kamal's not there. Mm-hmm. He's in my heart, but he's not physically there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm aggressive. So, yeah, I usually walk a few white people, you know, who don't know what's happening uh, and because they hear the phrase white people too many times and they freak out and leave. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, you know, that happens all over the country and it's it's very strange. I mean, there is the internet. There is a way to check. Uh, yeah, the, the internet is out there. Hey, Kamau, did you want to share something with the audience potentially regarding the internet? Yes, I'd like to talk to uh, specifically the uh, people who, who include themselves or find themselves in my audience. Uh, there's a lot of crossover between Politically Reactive and United Shades. It's not, a, it's not 100% the same. CNN certainly gets people who don't listen to Politically Reactive. And some of our Politically Reactive people I know are not necessarily here just for me. They're here for you. And, and some of them let me know, as they've let you know on occasions, who they're here for, which I think is ridiculous, among many things I want to talk about. But there's a thing that's happening right now, uh, specifically around uh, United Shades of America. We talked last week, and I sort of talked on the podcast about why I believe it's a, why I believe you know saying that I gave you know Richard Spencer a platform. And it's not really specifically about him, but we'll just use that. That somehow I feel like I did something differently in just giving him my platform. But t- people who listen to Politically Reactive, who I think don't even watch United Shades, were then pushing back on me about that argument. And you know, people are really love to be shitty. And uh, and love to sort of try to score points and then love to try to feel like they're winning a back and forth exchange with you, which really means we're going to lose the revolution if that's what's important. There's this, we've talked about this mm-hmm. before. We'll talk about this with Angela. There's, there's a woke test out there that is going to doom us because you think me being a comedian and sitting down as a comedian across from somebody like Richard Spencer, somehow comedy makes that less than. And I know a lot of people wanted wanted some sort of like – wanted me to dress him up and dress him down, but and I don't do that. That's not what I do. I try to engage with people and try to get them to reveal things that they maybe weren't going to reveal. And that's true whether I agree with you or not. I want you to sort of get comfortable and just feel free to talk and reveal things you didn't think you were going to reveal. And I think I did that with Richard Spencer. But more than that, if I was to dress him down, what does that do exactly? Do people who get dressed down on TV disappear forever? Do they not stop? Does he, do they file bankruptcy? Does that is that the only way to go at this? And the thing I want to talk about, which I the, that's a rhetorical question, the answer is no. People who get dressed down still, you actually sort of mobilize them, go by, mobilize their fans by going like, "Look, he tried to dress him down. We have to rise up." It doesn't actually work that way, but fine if that's what you want. If that's the kind of thing you support, then watch those things that dress people down. Enjoy your uh, Bill Maher. 
But the other thing I want to say is like, what are you doing when you attack me online if we're really ultimately kind of trying to be on the same side? If you want to disagree with the way I'm doing things, that's fine. And you can you can at me at it or not. But when you actually come at me trying to like sort of condescend or start some shit or when you question my choices and your thing with enjoy your money, like the reason why I'm sitting down with Richard Spencer is because I be- I'm trying to make more money and you're questioning basically who I am at the core. It's just I don't I, you're being ridiculous. And if you're and if and I believe that me sitting down with Richard Spencer, if you think that is somehow like making me I'm complicit in what he thinks or that I'm somehow like uh, just laughing at him, I'm agreeing with him, you're being ridiculous. And I believe at the core of that is the fear that his side is going to win. And so you don't, you just want to ignore it. As I said last week, everybody's not as woke as you. I hear from people all the time who say, I saw you on CNN. I never knew these things. Those are the people I'm going for. This week we did Chicago. Next week we're doing Standing Rock. You may not know about those issues. Watch those episodes. But the thing that I really want to get to, because people think I'm somehow like promoting white supremacy by talking to Richard Spencer, or somehow I'm like giving too much voice to white supremacy, which is sort of crazy when you feel like it's in the White House in this, you know, like, you know, and also we're some people still don't understand it. Even when you say white supremacy, some people get scared. And I'm sort of saying it on CNN regularly. <sighs> Whatever. But the thing that I really think is ridiculous, if you were really the person you claim you are being, that you were really so woke, you would ignore the Richard Spencer part and talk about the parts of that episode specifically that highlight people whose voices aren't heard enough. As you talk to me about Richard Spencer and how I did that wrong, you know what I don't hear? You don't talk about the LBGT advocate Ruby Corrado, who is, has a house in D.C. to take in refugees and runaway LGBT people from countries who they, people where they could be killed in their country or even in this country because they are LGBT. You don't talk about Williams Guevara, who's, who testified before Congress when he was under 21 as a way to save his sister and got laws changed that protect refugees all the way up to the age 21. You don't talk about you're not talking about how that segment what you thought about that segment. You're not talking about Sarah Zulo, who's a who had a refugee Thanksgiving to welcome refugees to this country and how I ended the show talking to her. You're not talking about her. You're not talking about the lawyer I talked to who is who represented Williams Guevara, who's actually trying to help refugees and style and help this country be what it is. You're not talking about those people. You're not talking about Muhammad, the Syrian refugee who'd only been in the country a couple months when I talked to him. You're not talking about how, yeah, I was happy to see that. I didn't like that Spencer part, but look at all the amazing people you put on the show. You're just interested in disagreeing because you think it's a hot take and it makes you sound smarter than the average bear. And if that's all you want to do, don't at me. And to the person who said, I don't want to make enemies, I called Donald Trump a cyber bully on television yesterday. I don't want to make an enemy of you because it's not worth it because I would like you to be on my side. I'm actually on doing the work. So you don't got to like it. You don't got to enjoy it. You don't got to support it. You can ask first look to release an episode of the podcast with just the Hari parts if you want to. But don't at me. Just, you know, and other if we want to continue this way, we won't win. Well. I have a lot to say, and I'm so proud that you said that, first of all, because, of course, I agree with you completely. Uh, also, uh, an all-hurry episode would just be me going <laughs> <laughs> for, like, an hour. So I don't think that really works. Uh, yes, I can I can do it uh, on cue. Um, you know, the reason I think also Kamau is, is as passionate about this as I was, you know, for, from, from last year after the election is because we care and we treat the people who listen to our show as a community. It's different than a lot of the other 
uh, things that we do. There's a really special community that comes out here, people who are really worried about the future and they care. And, and you, know, we, you know, we've been very clear about w- where we are in this, what, what side we're on, what we're fighting for, what our values are. And when you, you see, you know, somebody you, you know, when you see, like it hurt to see someone I care about so much being attacked by people who are supposedly love the work we do. And whether if you think it was a mistake, okay. But here's the thing. Most people I think who are saying that Kamau gave Richard Spencer a platform didn't see the episode. And this is a larger, this speaks to a larger problem. We're in a culture of sound bites. We're in a culture of the moving gif. We're in the culture of tweets. And all those things are moments. They're sentences, right? They don't tell the full picture. That's how propaganda works. You take pieces of things and that's how you you shape a narrative, right, with really strong imagery. That episode wasn't really about Richard Spencer. The episode was about the fact that Spencer is saying this is the America that he wants or the America that exists. And the episode is refuting that. And you're hearing from people you would not hear from on television. You know, and if anything, Kamau is normalizing those stories. This is America too. And if you're, and in terms of like, uh, you know, whether he, why didn't he yell at him? Like, what good does that do? Like, what we do as comedians is we let people bury themselves. I mean, I think he did a fine job of that. And anybody who's watching Kamau's show, chances are isn't on the fence about the Nazi issue. And for the people who say, like, you know, oh, what if a child sees that? What child is watching CNN? <laughs> so, so honestly, like, uh, if you're going to make an argument, and I, I say this for everything, not just come out with me, anything, read the fucking stuff. Watch the fucking stuff. Like, I actually know what you're talking about. It is really easy to criticize without knowing what you're talking about. That helps no one. And it, it just, ah. It, uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm so sorry that you're going through that because I know that the work we both do is very personal to us. It's not just a job. It is, a, it is, it is very important. And again, the community we've built with the show is very special. So I'm sorry that you're, uh, you're putting up with that. Well, let me clear her. You don't have to – I appreciate the apology because you're my friend and you don't have to apologize to me. And it's not even that I feel – I just feel sad for people. I feel sad for us on the left as we try to build this movement and try to and try to quote-unquote hashtag resist that we're going to lose it over fucking bullshit and that's what i think it's not that i'm gonna be i'm gonna be okay like i'm gonna be like i'm gonna i'm gonna figure this out and i'm gonna continue to do the work i do and as much as this informs the work it's like oh is this how people are gonna treat the work that's fine but i'm not i'm not moving so i'm learning but i'm not moving it's i feel sad for the fact that we're gonna let so many people slip through the cracks as we try to build this movement and try to move to the next stage because we're going to nitpick people it's better to have a hot take that is like i don't like this than to have a hot take that is i really appreciated the fact that this pushed a lot of things and really invited me into things i didn't think about even though i didn't love all of it i really appreciate it overall so i think that's a problem and speaking of that i'm just gonna move us right into the interview (laughs) is that uh we have a person who also gets pushed back from all sides but keeps being unmoved and she has been inspirational to me and i think that's why we had her on the podcast today we've been working this for a long time Please bring in Angela Rye. First of all, I'm going to let Harry get the first question off because he's very obsessed with his first question. But I just want to say thank you for coming on Politically Reactive. We've been trying to do this for a long time. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Happy to be here. (laughs) 
Um, Thank you. So I know that you were born and raised in Seattle, and you're a graduate of the University of Washington and Seattle University School of Law. I am obsessed with the city of Seattle. That is my favorite city in the world, and I wanted to tell you that and want to know how you feel about the city of Seattle. Obviously. (laughs) 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 No, but I'm kind of serious, though. I rock a 206 chain on purpose. It's not a super heavy chain, but I do have a necklace. I have it on right now that says 206. That is the wonderful area code for my hometown. And I feel so, so blessed to have been, um, to have grown up there Um, and to have the family upbringing that I had and the friends that I have. I think it's a great place to raise kids. It was a great place to grow up. Um, And as much as I love it, I will probably not ever move back. (laughs) <laughs> that's what separates you two. Well, come on. That may, that's what I wanted to cover. That was the most important thing to me was discussing Seattle. So we can go on from here. Thank you for joining us on Seattle Talk with Hurry Kanabolu. <laughs> now that's a name. Now that's a name for you, Kamal. That's a name for you. <laughs> Seattle Talk. So, Angela, I would imagine, talk about working at CNN. Because I would imagine that you hear from some of the same people I hear from about how can you do that? How are you, how are you in that space? And you are even in a more a critical space. You are the one sent in to be inside those boxes. You know, just talk about what that's like. Uh, this past election cycle um, was a maddening phenomenon for me um, because I'm used to having political discourse and conversations and even debates with people where we might interpret the facts differently, but we don't decide what a fact is and what a fact isn't. Um, of course, there's a brand new thing in pop pop culture now, thanks to Kellyanne Conway, called an alternative fact. Um, and we throw that term around very loosely these days. But there used to be a time where, you know, the truth was just the truth. And some people, you know, just saw it through a different perspective, but just not a whole different thing, you know. Um, so it's it's been really interesting. I think it's it's been tough. Um, I didn't have my meltdowns at home. Instead, I actually had them on air. <laughs> Um, And I guess one of the positives for that is there are people who scream at their television sets every night or watch the the videos, the um, I'll call them the hype videos on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram the next day. And they're yelling at those, too. And so as a result of having meltdowns on air when I couldn't take it anymore, um, there are people who call me their spirit animal. And for that, I'm grateful. Yeah, yeah, I think that you have sort of risen above a lot of that, a lot of the noise, and you certainly have found your your own space and in such a way that it's like people are like, I want to hear more from her. Whereas for most people, it's like even if you agree with them, this is enough. This is all I need to hear. Like I don't need to, I don't need to get the the box set of this person. Yeah, but. Was that something you had to like get good at? Because what I find is you're good at like hearing the nonsense, synthesizing it, and then coming back with with a Twitter length clapback that people can retweet and GIF and meme your face right away. You know, uh, you're famous for like boy bye. You know, like it was like whereas I get on those shows because I'm on some of those shows too, and I'm just like, let me get back to you in about an hour when I think of the good response. Well, um, you know, I'm not trying to be a comedian out here either, Kamal. So we all have our I have our gifts and our talents. But I, I guess the thing I would say to you is, um, if never before 
being truly authentic to who exactly you are is so important. And so what's frustrating about Donald Trump is, you know, he has this um, aura about him that is, you know, he they like a lot of his supporters during the campaign would say, oh, he tells it like it is or whatever. But it didn't matter that whatever he was telling wasn't the truth. It just seemed authentic because of how he carries himself. And so there's a brand of authenticity that has risen to supreme importance. And I think that what people appreciate is... Um, and my best friends and my dad and my mom and my grandmother, um, my one surviving grandparent can tell you I am the same exact person on air and off air. Um, and I think people sense that. And so when you're hearing someone defend like, oh, you know, and he was talking when he said grab him by the pussy, he didn't really mean that. They probably have cats in the backyard. <laughs> and so people don't want to hear that. Like they just want to hear you say okay, that's crazy, you know, or like exactly how you talk about it at your kitchen table. Like, you know, that is dumb as hell. Like Betsy DeVos is stupid. Like whatever it is, like just being able to tell someone exactly what you think, no holds barred, just that unadulterated truth is what people needed to hear. And fortunately for my ministry, that's what I needed to be able to express during this election to be able to survive sane. And I'm still not all the way sure that I'm sane right now, but I think that I'm more sane than I would have been if I had to like fluff it and like package it in a nice newsy way. Like I, I laugh all the time at the people who will say on Twitter, like, oh, you're you're a terrible journalist. You're not objective at all. And I was like, that is fantastic because I'm not a journalist. I actually have an opinion and I'm paid to share it. I'm sorry that you don't like it. Maybe you'll agree with me tomorrow. Angela, you've been tweeting a lot about healthcare. I know you were on TV this morning to talk about healthcare. What's next for the GOP healthcare bill? Like what will happen to it once like it reaches the Senate? Like does it actually have a chance of being passed? So Susan Collins told y'all RIP to that health care bill from <laughs> from the house side. <laughs> you know, basically what you're dealing with is, you know, a group of folks who and this is the funny thing. Do you remember when they talked about Barack Obama having this bill that he crammed down their throats and he passed along partisan lines and they didn't have enough time to review it and all of these things. And they did it this time, but worse, because they didn't even wait for a CBO, Congressional Budget Office, a CBO estimate to tell you how much it would cost, how much it would hurt the American people. You know why they didn't wait for that? Because two months ago, when the CBO put out a budget, or I'm sorry, an estimate about the initial Affordable Health Care Act, AHCA, to be also to not be confused with ACA, the Real Health Care Act, Barack Obama, thank you, they said that this was going to cost probably about 24 million people their health care. So they don't want to wait to hear what the CBO estimate is because they know that it's going to cost them probably their seats. And so, you know, what's frustrating to me is um, I am a partisan, right? Like I fight along partisan lines every day. But there are some things to me that just from a human decency standpoint should never be partisan issues. Healthcare is one of them. You know, racism is one of them. You know, um, our ability to eat and thrive in this country and job creation and even our economics, you know, the many ways in which we can parse that out and, and, and walk through that. Something shouldn't be partisan. Somebody being able to feed their kids or take care of a parent or, you know, recover after a pregnancy, that stuff should never be partisan. And yet we find ourselves in all types of partisan fights about some things that are just not right. Like, where's the human decency in this? 
I mean, is it fair to say that a lot of the 24 million people who are going to lose their health care, that they don't know necessarily that they're going to lose their health care till they lose their health care? I mean, do you think there's a lot of people who, you know, who also didn't know that they were, you know, insured through Obamacare to begin with because they, there was a separation of people's heads between, you know, the ACA and Obamacare for some reason. Um, do you think there's people who have no idea what's about to happen? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think we see that every day. I, I think we saw the folks who had coverage under um, kind of that black lung provision under the ACA, under Obamacare, that said, hey, you are you had this experience as a coal miner. We're going to look out for you. This makes sure that you're always protected. They didn't know that they would have been losing that under this new bill. And of course, that had to be written into it. But that's because people read, they paid attention, they stayed woke, and they called them on it. But it's like you can't even call people on it if you don't know what's going into it. And what's frustrating is we expect for a layperson to know what's going on to hold their legislators accountable. But how are we holding them to a stricter standard than the legislator themse- legislators themselves? Mark Sanford went on air on CNN last week saying, um, if you don't know who Mark Sanford is, Mark Sanford is the one who was allegedly lost in the woods with his kids hiking, but really he was with his mistress from South America that he also used to be the former governor of South Carolina. But I substantially digress. Mark Sanford (laughs) said he ain't read the bill. He didn't read the bill. And what's crazy to me is they complain, oh, well, Obamacare was 2,000 plus pages. Our bill is shorter. Well, you should have read the shorter bill. Wow. You can't even read the short bill. (laughs) Like, these are are our legislators. Y'all need to elect new people. Like, this really isn't it. Why did they elect him? He said, anyway. I feel like if we don't talk. We... I told you, Mark Sanford, that's a, that guy right there. That's an interesting young man. You hear me? Mm. Anyway. <laughs> I feel like we, we could elected just, him. Yeah, we could just not talk and let you just take it from here, which I'm happy to do. Because <laughs> this, <is, laughs> this is why we want you on. Just like, I feel like we'll just lay back. We'll just let, her, we'll just let Angela no. take the solo. No, you might want to filter. Keep me in some parameters. I'm about to be down a road on Mark, Mark Sanford's faux hiking trip that never happened. Don't have me go there. That was years ago. Well, that was a throwback special. I apologize. No, that was a, but that was a classic walking the Appalachian <laughs> Trail, which was his way of saying with my mistress out of the was it out of the country or something. Like, it was just crazy. They couldn't find him. They thought they thought that he got kidnapped. <laughs> they didn't know what happened to that man. A white man is missing. He was on All points bulletin. Get everybody around. A white man is missing. Well, this not a white man come out. Be fair, he was the governor at the time. That's true. That's true. He was a he was <laughs> like, one of the most special. Just went no, no random white dude. It's like you kind of don't want the governor to go missing. Like, no, that's you know. true. That's true. Fair enough. Fair you enough. don't want anybody to go missing, but the APB was because he's the governor. Yes, yes that's true. <laughs> Fair enough. I didn't mean Thank to steal the thunder See, from she'll your push joke. back. She'll push. No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. You will push back on people even who are, who are trying to agree with you. So I appreciate that. <laughs> so to uh, go into a, a very different subject, you know, uh, there's a lot is being talked about right now of Jordan of Jordan Edwards. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, you know, this is the thing about Jordan Edwards to me that seems so indicative. Is this the first big case like of a, a young black youth being killed that is getting national media attention in the Trump era, which feels so different than the Obama era. So just talk mm-hmm. about your thoughts on that on that situation and the tragedy of his murder killing. So, yeah, for Jordan, for those folks who don't know, and I'm sure most of the folks who are listening to your podcast are well informed. But just in case someone doesn't know, um, this is the young man who's just 15 years old, um, a young boy, I'll say, unarmed. 
um, who was shot and killed by a Texas police officer. Um, Now, of course, just from an update standpoint, the fact that the officer was fired um, and is facing murder charges, that is more comforting to me than so many of the other cases um, that our community has, has experienced over the past several years since Trayvon Martin. You think about Jordan Davis and Trayvon, right? You have two killers who were acting as vigilantes and um, weren't even uh, police officers, mm-hmm. weren't even law enforcement officers. But then you have cases like Tamir Rice and John Crawford and Laquan McDonald and even Rakia Boyd, who the, while the officer was off duty, you have all of these challenges with our interaction with law enforcement, and you have to just ask yourself why and for what. Um, and I think what's what's treacherous to me is the fact that now there is uh, an attorney general, and I regularly now I'm calling the Department of Justice the Department of Injustice under his leadership because he's already tried to dial back consent decrees that deal with excessive force and police brutality and violence in communities that have overwhelmingly had these challenges. He tried to do that in Baltimore. Um, You know, I just don't know what justice will really look like from a federal standpoint under this attorney general. Um, And so I think that it really is upon communities. It's upon uh, the prosecutors. I think of people like Marilyn Mosby, who worked so hard to just get charges pressed against six officers who were responsible for the the death of Freddie Gray and how the FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police, came after her. You know, they're running someone against her right now. And she did the right thing. You know, there were questions about whether or not these officers were overcharged or question about whether she she tried. I know somebody said that she tried to overcharge them so that they wouldn't actually be Um, found guilty, which is ridiculous. I mean, her passion is ensuring that police violence is dealt with not only in um, cities like Baltimore, but all over the country. And so um, just to demonstrate that she was serious about what she did when the Department of Justice under Attorney General Holder came in after she she pressed charges against these officers um, or went for their indictments, they said that there was a pattern and practice of discrimination in Baltimore Police Department. You know, that is why the Department of Justice had them under consent decree. And, of course, that's why Jeff Sessions is trying to get rid of that same consent decree. Hold up. Wait a minute. Okay, this is a hold up. Wait a minute. That needs its own hold up. Wait a minute. So I'm actually just going to encourage you to do the legwork and Google the Freddie Gray case in Baltimore, specifically around which officers were charged and how that all went down, and Marilyn J. Mosby. Marilyn J. Mosby, for a moment, was a pop culture figure, especially on black Twitter, because she did charge some combination of the officers, but then she also dropped charges against some combination of the officers. But the big thing that I take out of this is that sometimes we get excited about the fact that officers get charged in these cases when we feel like there has been wrongdoing, because many times officers don't get charged at all. They don't get anything happens to them. They get suspended from work with pay is the worst thing that happens. But the thing we have to realize, even when officers are charged, like the officer in the Jordan Edwards case is being charged, you still got to look with what happens next. And in the Marilyn Mosby case, what happens next got pretty complicated. There were some charges dropped. And for reasons why, let, I'll let her explain right here. So, I mean, and this is a long sort of process. Um, like I said, it was after a great deal of thought. Um, in prayer 
it was after the judge came to the conclusion in all of these cases where, you know, you have an arresting officer, which is going to be the same information that we're going to utilize in, in this next trial. You have you the evidence that we provided for the wagon driver. We have the evidence that we provided for the highest ranking officer. It became pretty clear that, you know, pretty much the way that this system is set up, what the likely outcome was going to be. Um, and so it was a, just a question of do we take this all the way to the end or do we try to expose the sort of systemic issues that we were faced with from the start and the very start of this case? Yeah, you still don't get how complicated it was. So again, this time, hold up, wait a minute yourself. Maybe just pause right now, Google it, read for about two days and come back and listen to the rest of the episode. I, mean, I constantly worry about like how much of this is going to be reversible? Mm-hmm. Like even the the Department of uh, the Civil Rights Office, uh, they have an anti LGBTQ activist who's running that office now. Like how much damage is going to be caused, and how are we going to reverse it once this is over? Well, I think on the positive side, um, we've seen how quickly they have worked to undo some of the successes of the Obama administration. And so arguably, we can turn things around that quickly. Um, Now, of course, that is change on paper, right? That doesn't necessarily mean it's a change of paradigm, a change of thought, because I think that when you have the strength of the law behind your um, ideology, you are uh, you are comforted in your bigotry, <laughs> right? And I think that um, doing undoing some of that work is is tougher. Um, but I have to believe that he does not get four years with us. I have to believe that this dude gets impeached. <laughs> I have to because if I don't yep. hold on to that hope, I'm gonna have worse than a meltdown on TV. You know, like <laughs> just. So I'm just like, just don't take that from me today. I'm walk out of this podcast room, throw these headphones down. Let me hold on to that. No, no, no. You can hold on to that. And and, and from your (laughs) lips to whoever needs to hear its ear, God and whoever else, the black Jesus, Russia. Vlad, (laughs) side with us now, Vlad. Come on. Yeah, yeah, Vlad. You you can't like Trump. You can't even control him anymore. Uh, Right. He just just undermined you last month. Come on, Vlad. Come on over to the good side. That's funny. We've gotten to the point where we're recruiting Vladimir Putin to the left, to the resistance. Yes. We got to do something. I mean, I will take anybody who can help at this point. We'll be right back after we take care of some business and some business. All right. Back to the show. Speaking of uh, of that situation of anybody who can help, what are your thoughts on post-presidency uh, Barack Obama right now? Like, you know, we're sort of seeing him come out. He's given a couple speeches. You know, there's the controversy around him, like getting $400,000 to give a speech to quote-unquote Wall Street fat cats. But then he also is like, me and Michelle are going to give $2 million to youth programs in Chicago. What are your thoughts on him right now? Okay, first let's deal with this $400,000 thing. Come out. If you got offered a $400,000 speech, are you taking the speech? First of all, I take speeches for way less than that. Way uh, less than that. I mean, come on. I'm so irritated with this whole talking. Like when I tell you I had a melt I wasn't on TV. I had a meltdown by myself about this because I was like, "Are you guys kidding me? This is the 44th president. He just so happens to be black. And on the 44th president who is black, he can't take a damn paid speech. 
He can't get paid. Are y'all for real? So I'm mad about the whole thing. Like, I'm so irritated about it. I take speeches for less than that. I will be honest with you in saying there are speeches that I have declined because there are certain industries I don't want to deal with. But I'm going to tell you what. If I get the opportunity to do a Wall Street speech, I'm going, number one. I'm going to talk to them about their minority vendor utilization policies. I'm going to talk to them about the makeup of their corporate board and ensuring that there are more people of color women. And I also would want to talk to them about the asset management firms they use for debt offerings, etc. I'm absolutely taking that engagement. I'm absolutely going to tell them about the things that they've done that have worked and the things where or the places where they've fallen off since Reverend Jackson was initially holding Wall Street accountable. I'm taking that speech. Like, I don't understand it for the life of me. Now I'm back. I'm back. I'm going back to Barack Obama and what he's doing afterwards. I need him to stop going on vacation. I need him to put in that work because we need help. <laughs> So, again, you know, we talked about Mark Sanford going missing. I need Barack Obama not to go missing. I'm glad that he made a cameo last night to get his award and to talk to Republicans about health care and ensuring that they are taking a courageous vote and a courageous stance. But that's not enough. I need him to regularly just show up in the Rose Garden and pop up behind the podium to <laughs> make fun of Donald Trump, to make sure people know what presidential really is. I need him to, on Twitter when Donald Trump is on there talking about White House counsel and he doesn't know that there's a difference between a cloud of witnesses and a lawyer. I need for Barack Obama to call that out. I need him to throw shade on Twitter. <laughs> That's the least he can do for us after all we've been through. And I'm sure I could come up with some other things, but I need him to be way more present. And I need for Michelle Obama, she said about her eye roll or her, um, her the face that she got caught making, that she was thinking about Sasha and Malia leaving the White House for the last time and she was sad about. No, Michelle Obama, first lady girl, it's okay. I need you to say, I was making that face because I'm like, can y'all even believe this ish? Can you just say that for the culture, Michelle Obama? Like because that. that's what we needed. I like that, for the culture. Whether it's true or not, you know the culture needs to hear you say that. Yes. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yeah. the culture is not feeling this dude. Like, please just let us believe what we need to believe. Yeah. yeah. Just be anyway. just be silent and let us take it. So Yeah. But here's the thing, and I know you know this, the idea of something not being a good look. Mm-hmm. Like I, I the thing that I know is like multiple things can be true at once. He has the right to take whatever money he wants to take because as an ex-president, that's part of the benefit of being an ex-president who made it through. Mm-hmm. Give right. me my big checks. Like that's part of it. Like I want to be able to always fly private. I mm-hmm. want to always be able to eat wherever I want to eat. I want to mm-hmm. have houses in every corner of the world because I just want some quiet time, some me time. Mm-hmm. So, but do you subscribe to the idea of like something is not a good look? Like the way that you know it does pay me to see Bernie Sanders want to course correct Barack Obama. Uh, you know, but it, you know, and I even voted for Bernie in the primary. I was like, dude, you're not the one. Do you think there's a thing about not being a good look? Like he should just go, I get that I can take this, but maybe I should just let this one go. So I guess my question is like, where do we draw the line, right? Like I think that if there's someone who is the voice of reason with a group of people, then they should hear from that voice of reason. Um, If you're Mm -hmm. telling me like, oh, the Halliburton is offering him a million dollars, maybe Halliburton isn't a good look because maybe they're going (laughs) to shoot him like they shot Dick Cheney on a on a hunting trip. I don't know. But like maybe yeah. there's there is some group where it's like this is not cool. But tell me why we would just blank like there's some really legitimately amazing people who work on Wall Street. Are we really saying that we never want him to have any wall like for what? To what end? 
right? Like, I just yeah. think that there yeah. need to be some some parameters to this. Like, okay, he's not going to take, you know, he's not going to do a Lockheed speaking engagement, which I would do. I'm gonna, I'm actually going to do one for their black affinity group. I'm going to talk to the black people at Lockheed. Try me. Send me a tweet about it. Watch what happens. Try me at me. Try me and right? at me, she says. At Boeing. Let's yeah. talk about Boeing. My grandmother worked at Boeing. My dad worked at Boeing. I'm going to take a speaking engagement at Boeing. So there are all, there's just, these things are not that cut and dry. It's not as black and white. It's not as, as you talked about, us being in those boxes, fighting different yeah. positions in two minutes, down bites. It's not that easy sometimes. And we need to be all right with that, you know? So I don't I don't like coal and I don't believe in clean coal. But if I had an opportunity to go talk to coal miners in West Virginia, I damn sure would talk to the coal miners in West Virginia because I want to know what are they thinking? Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you know, I think I don't know. I think that we sometimes get in these like we can be as crazy as like the Tea Party about like this ideological. Oh, you absolutely can't ever do that. Like, why? Tell me why. Like, okay, you don't want me to go to a payday lender's convening and talk to the payday lender? No problem. Like a predatory lender in our community, somebody that has done something disastrous to us, no problem. But like an entire industry? I don't know about that. <laughs> it's, it's also a weird double standard. You think so? It's a weird double because I, mean, I don't remember people, like, <laughs> I don't think people are criticizing uh, Clinton the same way. Bill Clinton, when Heck like no. he, he's taking all sorts of gigs, and as soon as Obama is free, it's like, you know, first of all, Obama wasn't the Obama many of us thought we were voting for in 2008. So this is consistent. This isn't like, oh my God, you were, you were a leftist the whole time, and now this? No, this is. This is about right. You know, this is the president that we had. You know, he's likable, but there's a lot of things that I'm certainly critical of. This is consistent. And I don't understand how you can criticize him for being inconsistent because that's that's but what he would do. I don't even know what he said or what he would say. Like, my other thing is, like, maybe you just can't put people in these these doggone boxes like this. Like, there are some things that I'm very leftist on. There are some things that I probably would surprise you about how moderate I am on them. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. so I just am like, some of this stuff is just about like not putting people in boxes. Like get what, what is he going to say? How is he going to represent what's in our best interest? Like what if he had a speaking engagement where he could go talk to the Wells Fargo people? Should he not talk to Wells Fargo because they were uh, lying on the accounts? The customer service department was opening up new accounts. I would say no, but he should probably go and say, okay, let me tell y'all what not to do. You know, let me tell you, know, I just I just I believe in having some type of engagement first until people demonstrate that they lack the capacity to engage. Like there are some people that I'm on air with. Sometimes I'm like, I should never be on air with you again. One of those is uh, Joe Walsh from. uh, um, Yeah. Right outside of Chicago, a Mm -hmm. bigot that should have never been elected to Congress. Only served one term. I think I said that three times in the interview. But, like, he doesn't deserve to have a conversation. He doesn't deserve to have a platform. He's demonstrated his bigotry. He's demonstrated that there's no getting through to that said to said bigotry. Those are the people you don't go and have a conversation with. I should not go and take a $50,000 speech to talk to the Tea Party. I probably shouldn't do that. Hold up. Wait a minute. Joe Walsh was an Illinois congressman who served a single term. He is also a conservative radio host. And just to be clear, 
We're not talking about the Joe Walsh from the Eagles. It is not that guy. When you tweet at the Joe Walsh we're talking about, be very specific. Not the Joe Walsh from the Eagles. Also, Joe Wilson was the congressman who told Obama, you lie. Not this guy. So get your Joes straight. Know which one you mean to hate. And if you do dislike the Eagles, then go ahead and tweet that Joe Walsh. Here's a clip of Angela Rye and Joe Walsh on CNN. Okay, so so let me move on. Hey, to, Brooke, to, Angela, hang Angela, on, Joe. Brooke, Angela. I'm not because talking too big. Go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not talking too big. No, no, no. Angela had me. I agreed with the first 30 seconds where she went off there. I agreed with everything she said. Off. Sean Spicer was a was a condescending jerk yesterday. But then Angela had to go to race. Why did it have anything to do with race? Angela, he has treated male white reporters horribly before, too. What's the big deal? Hold on, and why what, what, why use the B word, Angela? Because Joe is a bigot, and I'll give you an example of why. Since you brought up Twitter yesterday, here's Joe's tweet. And you're way wrong on your main point, Angela. We lowered the bar for Obama. He was held to a lower standard because he was black. That is Joe Walsh's tweet. You all decided to give Joe Walsh a platform today. I'm not giving him the time of day. Here's a tweet from him last year. Three Dallas cops killed, seven wounded. This is now war. Watch out, Obama. Watch out, Black Lives Matter punks. Real America is coming after you. So he wants to start a race war? Joe Walsh is, what if Jeffrey Lord wasn't as thoughtful and reflective and well-studied? That's what Joe Walsh is. He's tried to bait me to get into fights. He's talk- we talked about the Angela Rye thing. And I know, just because we did this cutaway, we're going to hear from him. Ignore him, Harvey. Put him on mute. Also, this is not John Walsh from America's Most Wanted and CNN. Do not bother John Walsh from America's Most Wanted and CNN. Because he'll come after you. For real, for real. Uh, It's funny. I'm going to do something that I know some people who are listening to the podcast right now are thinking based on what you just said, because you used the word platform, which we've talked about on this podcast. Mm. So uh, so I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk to me about how I used my platform, United States of America, to in one segment of an hour long show. I did an interview with Richard Spencer, uh, you know, inventor of the term alt-right. You know, the line from Richard Spencer, the White House goes straight through Steve Bannon, uh, or at least those ideas, those ideas. Uh, and is the episode about immigrants and refugees. I don't know whether you saw it or not. That's not even the point. But I've been getting pushback from people, people who normally would agree with me about the idea that I gave him my platform. And I, I understand what you're saying about Joe, Joe Walsh as far as like not you don't want to sit down and have a conversation with him. Did I do the wrong thing by having a conversation with uh, by putting Richard Spencer on my show? So I think it's different, right? Like if you if you consider um, the way in which Joe Walsh and I were positioned, we were positioned as equals. You know, people who have differing opinions on on issues and, and, and these positions need to be represented, right? I think it's different when you bring someone into a space where you're challenging them on their ideology. I think that's different. I think people are fascinated by the idea of how did you even get to be a white supremacist? Like, what happened to you? Did a black kid slap you down the stairs? Like, what happened to you <laughs> to make you feel like that's like a palatable position? <laughs> you know, and I, so to me, I think that's different because you're, you're shedding light on you know, um, how he how he became who he is versus like you, you know, you're on Don's show, let's say, with him. And Don is like, well, tell me why I'm the N-word, Richard. And then you have to argue why he, <laughs> he's not the N-word. Like, that's completely different to me. Um, yeah. 
I understand why you're getting pushback, especially right now. Again, we talked about how divisive it is or how divided the country is right now. So I can understand why people don't want to hear that. But I think part of how we grow and part of how we get better is by having some hurtful, challenging, real conversations. Um that doesn't mean that you're going to be in every conversation to change minds. But my mom always says to me, um, probably because I still haven't gotten it, so she repeatedly says this to me, that one of the most important skills I can gain in life is perspective taking. And if, you can't, if you've never heard someone's position, if you've never understood why they think the way they do, you're not going to be able to, to get their perspective. That doesn't even mean you have to appreciate it, but at least knowing where someone is coming from makes you all the more emotionally intelligent. I know. I just appreciate you saying that because I've been uh, like basically Twitter is like a pinball machine right now for me in this whole thing. And it's like people I think there's a thing right now where people are sort of willing to throw people away, you know, who are who are actually I'm going to be in the streets with you if it comes to that. Like, I mean, like, like, and are willing to be like, you're not as woke as I am or mm-hmm. not as woke as I want you to be. And also people assume everybody's as woke as they are. So I think there's really a thing where on the left, especially as the left tries to coalesce, we're willing to throw people away. Well, and, and I think that, you know, for you, you just have to be like, okay, well, I know what I'm doing with my platform. Just because you don't get the vision yet doesn't mean a damn thing to me. And good luck. You know, you don't have to watch it. Um, but this is what I'm going to do. I will say that um, even though I like a lot of what uh, Dr. King ascribed to with the nonviolent movement, I was happy as hell that somebody punched that dude in the face. So, um, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Like, you, you walk around here and you make people feel bad about themselves Long enough. Sometimes, you know, there are there are you you reap what you sow. So there's that. I don't think that you know anybody should be targeting people for violence. But I was a little relieved that day. Yes, thank you, Angela. Thank you uh, so much for uh, for being on the podcast. Before we go, I thought it might be fun to do. Uh, you know, since we both love Seattle, maybe we do some quick Seattle shoutouts. People, uh, people we, we, we think should uh, be heard or whose name should be mentioned on the podcast, maybe for 60 seconds. Does that sound okay? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. Uh, shout out Lindy West and Ahamaluo for being, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a power couple on the left in Seattle. Wow. So shout out. This is going to be real self-serving. Shout out to my dad <laughs> who taught me most <laughs> of what I know. Um, his name is Eddie Rye Jr. He is my favorite um, unpundit to talk to. We talk politics every day, and he is still an activist with a bullhorn in his trunk in Seattle. Eddie Rye Jr., you're the man, son. <laughs> uh, shout out to the uh, shout out to the uh, No Youth Jail movement that's happening in uh, in Seattle right now. I wore the shirt on TV the other day. I'm proud of the work that is being done there. So shout out to them. Uh, And shout out to, um, I will shout out the rapper Dre's, who is actually now based in L.A., but also born and raised in Seattle, um, doing great things, talking about gentrification and his music and so many other things that impact the town. So shout out to Dre's. Shout out to uh, the Blue Scholars. Fuck class. Get your education on the Ave. Shout out to, I wasn't ready for this. I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got one. Shout out to Bruce Lee. He's buried in Seattle. Shout out to Bruce oh, Lee. No. Shout, out, shout out to weatherman Steve Poole. Shout out to Columbia City Bakery. You can't do the gentrified stuff. Shout out to the station. Stuff. You got to like shout out Madison Park Bakery and stuff. <laughs>
You guys did a ginger fries stuff. <laughs> you like shout out shout to out Pagliacci to in Columbia City. Now nah, you can't do that. <laughs> well, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna shout out to all the things that are no longer there. Shout out to the facts that's no longer on the corner of 23rd and Cherry. Shout out to the <laughs> shout out to Catfish Corner that's no longer on 23rd and Cherry. Shout out to Sammy's Burgers, which is no longer in the CD. <laughs> shout out to uh, shout out to Catfish Corner that's also shut down. Shout out to Seattle Supersonics. Yeah, RIP Supersonics. <laughs> and shout out to Silver Fork, which is also where my dad used to have his community organizing meetings. Also not there. What is up with that? Uh, can you do Can you do one more thing before we go? Just and then we'll let you go. Just can you just tell Hari, boy, bye. No. <laughs> uh, I'm not telling that. Thank oh. you, Angela. Beyonce needs to pay me for that. We, Beyonce <laughs> got run off of the uh, Ooh, boy wow. vibe. But no, in real life, she she blessed my life. If it wasn't for Lemonade, there would have been so many missing moments on TV. Lemonade changed my life. This past year has been amazing. Thank you to Beyonce and Lemonade and the twins, okay? Listen, All right. We got to do what we got to do. Thank you, Angela. <laughs> Thanks, Angela. Come out, boy, bye. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Come out, got boy, bye instead. Yes. Wow. wow. and Company. Love you. <laughs> you know what that's from? That's from United Shady. Ooh, <laughs> United Shady around these parts. Whoa. We're shady instead of shades. That's, we just throw the shade. Wow. This is this is what she does, everybody. This is like she's a walking Twitter <laughs> uh, retweet. She's a walking Twitter retweet. <laughs> Angela Rock. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Kamal. Thanks, Harvey. Thank you, Angela. Great. Thank you, guys. Kamal, what did you learn today? I learned that Trump is so problematic that Angela's actually okay with recruiting Vladimir Putin to our side. Any port in a tweet storm. Hurry, what did you learn today? I learned that Angela rocks a 206 chain in honor of Seattle, where she grew up. Uh, she loves it, but probably would never move back. Um, I, I might move back. I might not move back. I've been talking about it for 10 years. But uh, I respect her decision, and I respect her love for 206. I learned that I think you love Seattle more than she does. She was like, yeah, I love it. But you're like, you're way more into it than she was. Yeah, I noticed that during the shout out section when uh, I was referencing things she didn't know and she had uh, she started referencing things that no longer exist, uh, which is sad. And also that you wanted to do it longer than she had in her. She was like, "That's I think I got it. And you're like, no, no, no. Shout out to, to every person I've ever met. I have a list in my pocket that I keep at all times. Oh, every yeah. person I ever met from Seattle. <laughs> I learned that Angela's mom always said one of the most important skills you can get in life is perspective taking. You don't have to appreciate it, but at least knowing where someone is coming from is important. And her dad is still an activist and keeps a bullhorn in his trunk. Which is so cool. That is so cool. I learned that if Angela gets the opportunity to talk to Wall Street, she's going to talk to Wall Street. I learned that Angela didn't have her meltdowns at home. She had them on air. For that, people have called her their spirit animal. Also, I'm available to be someone's spirit animal. I'm available to be your Patronus. What does that mean? Harry Potter. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. You just saw Star Wars, didn't you? Yeah, man. They're really good, man. Those first three... Really good. Had no idea Billy D. Williams was in him. Star Wars. So good. He just saw Star Wars. <laughs> Thanks again to Angela Rye. Follow her on Twitter at Angela underscore Rye. And go check out that t-shirt line I mentioned. It's at AngelaRye.com. And thanks to those of you who have commented on Twitter using the hashtag politically reactive. Keep them coming. 
even the mean ones. And please hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. And we'd love to see you at one of our live politically reactive shows. We'll be at the Limestone Comedy Festival in Bloomington, Indiana. The show is Friday, June 2nd. Tickets are at limestonefest.com. We'll also be at the Comedy Central Colossal Clusterfest in San Francisco. That's on Sunday, June 4th. Tickets at clusterfest.com. And if you're in Minneapolis, I will be appearing on Prairie Home Companion on May 20th, along with my friend Amy Mann. And I also have a new surprise album. It's called Hari Kundabolu's New Material Night Volume 1. You can find that and the rest of my albums on bandcap.com. And for more tour dates, you can go to harikundabolu.com or more realistically, Google Hurry and Comedian and you'll figure it out. And I've got a new book out. It's called The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell. Pick it up at your local bookstore or at wkamaubell.com. And I've got some stand-up dates coming up. Tonight, I'll be in Boulder, Colorado. That's on Thursday, May 11th. And then on May 19th, I'll be in Eugene, Oregon. May 20th, I'll be in Seattle, Washington. And I've also got dates coming up in Baltimore and other cities and Detroit and Chicago again. Go to WKMobile.com for all the dates and times. And Thursday, May 18th, I'll be doing a Kamau Right Now show, my other podcast. And also be on the lookout for the third episode of my CNN show, United Shades of America. This week, we have an episode that in part is at Standing Rock. You can catch it on Sundays at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific on CNN. Seattle, May 20th. See Kamau at the Neptune Theater. Do not disappoint me, Seattle. You know I love you. You love me. This is my friend. Go see my friend. Politically Reactive is a production of Topic and distributed by Earwolf. Our executive producers are Lisa Langang and Lital Malad. The show is produced by Max Jacobs, Erica Mu and Laura Flynn. The show is engineered by Dan Gallucci. Thanks to Alberto Hernandez at Fantasy Studios in Berkeley. Thanks to Jared O'Connell at Earwolf Studios in New York. And additional thanks to Paul Hallman at the Dub Room Studio in L.A. And thanks as always to Brontez Purnell for providing the music for the show. This is not Steve Walsh. <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> Steve Walsh. This is not... <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the 49ers? Uh, no, no, no. That's Bill Walsh. <laughs> this is not Bill Walsh. It's certainly not Steve Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh died many years it's, ago. It's certainly not Steve Walsh because that's a made up person, Harry just made up. <laughs> it's not Steve Walsh. <laughs> that's just some guy. Yeah, that's Steve just some Walsh. guy who's like, why are you talking about me right now? <laughs> uh.